Hey everyone, welcome to Season 2, Episode 15 of the Centennial Podcast. And this week, we have a few topics lined up, and we'll be going through the Senators' weekly recap in the first period. In the second period, we'll move on to the trade deadline. And the third period tonight's episode, we'll talk about which goalie the Senators should protect in the upcoming expansion draft. So, let's get right into the episode. Starting off the first period of tonight's episode, we're going to talk about the weekly recap. And also, the weekly recap is going to be like a two-game recap because the Senators only played the Flames twice thanks to a four-day break. So, two games against the Flames, a 2-1 late winner from Tierney, and then a 3-1 also late game game winner from Chris Tierney. So we're going to go with both those games, and we're going to start off with Mr. Matt. Go for it. Dude, isn't that your name? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Dude, that's some serious sicko energy. Uh, Chris Tierney uh, going bar dizzy on uh, on Jacob Markstrom in the same spot twice. Ooh, baby, that's the, ab- sicko the absolute disrespect of that man. <laughs> or it's the absolute respect for this fan base. You know what I'm saying? The Ooh. stat I heard was like he scored four goals on three shots at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about that one, boys. And then, yeah. and then now he's got two goals in his last two games. But in between that, that was a big old like nobody remembers that. I don't know if Chris Tierney does, but but my <laughs> goodness, <laughs> like yeah. we was, uh... we have made uh, the Flames our our yes. Uh, say it. I'm not, I'm not gonna say it. I'm not okay. Gonna. Uh, yeah, we know where you're going. Made, yeah, we've made them our our. We've made them a fucking bitch. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> like, like we have we have like just absolutely had the number this season. It's been it's great. incredible. It's like you have to think that there, there's always one team. Like remember last year, the Habs just got fucking like rinsed by Detroit. Like all season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like there's all like like we know we're a bottom feeder for the most part this year. Uh, but there's always one team that just absolutely just cannot get it done against us. And it's like, the, the Leafs have like a little bit of that energy, like just enough to like satisfy us. Uh, but the team that really has it is the Flames. Like, my God. I mean, they're absolutely like their season's a wash, I think, at this point. Um, and it's like yeah. mostly because of us. Like, I mean, they haven't been great, but I mean, like they've dropped like all but one game against us. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's I think so. And yeah, they also, have been good. just putting it out there, people were very, very certain we weren't even going to hit 10 games, uh, 10 wins, at the uh, like even before the season starts. Um, and we're almost up to that against Calgary. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was actually, honestly, shout out to my, my dad on this one. I'm pretty sure he had like super high expectations for the Senators. He told me that he thinks that they're going to at least win 15 games this season but he said that he wouldn't be surprised if they like ended up with 20 and i was like damn that's bullish man that is bullish so i kind of got to give him a a nod here because the centers have definitely looked like they can really pin on a few more wins here before the end of the season especially with some bottom feeder teams coming up against us like uh you know the montreal canadians and the toronto maple leafs (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no but honestly uh tierney tierney has looked uh quite good um i over the last couple of games like we all talked about before then it was like a ghost town but you know he comes in here he's very defensively responsible and he was rewarded a couple times over the last two games that goal in the 2-1 win over calgary a couple of days ago that was a rocket of a release that puck labeled the twine at the top of the net. I was impressed. <laughs> like, man, can you use that shot more often? I don't know where that came from, but that was a laser beam. And then in the game tonight, I mean, he was just in, in a great placement to to get that shot uh, on the net. And that one wasn't necessarily as nice looking as his previous goal, but hey, he gets it done in front of the net and ends up with now two game winning goals in two games. So I got to give Chris Tierney a lot of credit for coming through in a clutch situation both times, especially when he's just been so, so invisible at points this season. So yeah, again, nice to see him come through. He looked pretty happy getting those. I can't blame the guy. He's had a pretty rough season up until this point. And 
I was just going to say not to be forgotten on on Chris Tierney's goal, you know, uh, approximately 40 minutes ago. <laughs> um, uh, Brady Kachuk did almost all of the work to keep that play uh, in the zone and then keep it uh, keep it along the boards and then get it to Dadnoff. And he didn't get an assist on it just because, like, the Flames player got it for, like, a split second. It, like, yeah. hit his stick and bounced over. And I'm like, God damn. I mean, Brady did did all this good work, doesn't even get a get a point out of it. But man, um they're buzzing. Uh Ryan Dezingle, what a beauty. Um can't say much more than that, boys. Josh Norris, love that guy. <laughs> I did want to add on on the goal where Dadnov got the the system, the one you're talking about where Brady Kachuk did a lot of work. I have to give Dadnov credit because you know there's been a lot of talk about how invisible he's been this season. And I completely agree. There's been times where you're like, Oh yeah, he's on our team. Other times, obviously he's been, you know, heating up and he got a couple of goals against the Leafs in that big, you know, five, one deficit where we came back and won an OT and you'd love to see that, but he was so quiet since then. And so it was nice to see him actually get engaged on that four check, managed to keep the puck away from those two flames players and just center right over the front of the net, like within a, you know, half a second noticing, all right, we got a player up front of the net, you know, get the puck immediately, turn it over, pass it from the net, boom, goal, Norse. So I was happy to see him get on the board. And I think someone actually, uh, was, I believe it was the little hockey podcast. He uh, tweeted at me during the game and said that he had heard that that was Dadnov's first assist since January. And I would believe it, but that's brutal, man. It is almost April. And this man is getting his, I think, third assist of the season and first in like almost two months. So that's pretty rough, especially when you bring in a guy purely for his offensive capabilities. But there's two more players I kind of want to talk about before we move on to our next topic. First of all, NHL, well, not NHL debut, but season debut for Alex Formatin. And he hasn't played an NHL game in almost three years. And that's insane. So Formatin. Thoughts again. I'll uh, I'll pass off to other Matt. Oh man, I mean, Formanton looked like an NHL player tonight. Uh, you know, he he still has a little bit of work uh, to do to just like round out his game at the NHL level. I mean, today, for example, he had a chance where he probably could have carried it to the corner, but opted to kind of do a swing pass behind the back uh, into uh, into the slot that was like a sort of a hope and a player prayer type play. Um, with that said, though, you know, he's he's an NHL player as it stands right now, and they should have been playing him up here right from the jump. But, you know, they had to they had to get their fix of Cedric Paquette. And <laughs> I will go to the grave despising that that motherfucker. <laughs> like like him personally, not like the management <laughs> decision to play him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bennett, what were your thoughts on Formington tonight? I thought he looked really good. Yeah, I think uh, he had a few good looks. Uh, he looked like he was doing the right things on the ice. He was getting into the right positions. You know, there's once or twice where if uh, the player passing him the puck had got, had just pulled it off a little bit cleaner he would have had the the puck on his tape like right in the slot and you know we might have seen him pop a goal or two oh um, i know the exact play clark bishop had it yeah 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 it. yeah it was uh it was like a little two on one between Dezingle and formington and bishop coming up like behind and it's like i don't know if Dezingle tried to slide it through to formington and it kind of ended up with bishop and then he also he tried to like do a move to get around a player but kind of like went too wide with it and couldn't get it back centrally uh, it's i mean you know, that's uh, no one's fault, really. That kind of stuff happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, he definitely, uh, in a different game, uh, would have bounced as he gone his way. He definitely could have got a goal, and that would have been great to see. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we all expect him to be on the NHL roster uh, next season. I think this season, there's already so many young players having their... Uh, you know, having their first, like, solid season and with the team. that like, it'd be a lot to have another guy who's, like, having his full NHL debut season. You know, Bathurst had some games, but it's like, this is the first real season. You know, this is Stutzler's first real season, Norris's first real season. Uh, you know, to have, you know, four out of your, what, 12 forwards all just be, like, absolute rookies would be, like, 
kind of bold. Um, but uh, yeah, we, uh, we're super stoked for him and we hope that he can uh, establish himself either towards the back end of this season or heading into next. I do have to disagree with you there. I think, you know, with, with Watson out for the entire season, let's just say that Watson was only... Is he? Because yeah. that's news to me. Yeah, Watson... Like, I knew he wasn't playing I thought it was four to six weeks. Yeah, well, that's basically the rest of the season. Is that the end of the season? Oh, my God. I mean, I guess it is. Yeah, shit. (laughs) Like, it's not going to be going on much more than that. So, with him basically out for the season, like, if he was day-to-day, I could understand bringing Foreman today and getting him some NHL action, send him back down, fine, whatever. I I could totally understand that. But with Watson out now for a majority of the remainder of the season, why not just keep Foreman on your NHL roster? I get your point about too many. Yeah, yeah. I get your point about too many young guys coming into a lineup and it being a little overwhelming for them. But man, look at how they performed tonight. Obviously, it wasn't an immaculate game. But at the end of the day, their game against the Flames on the 22nd, you know, they let uh, 36 shots on net. And thankfully, Gustafson was a beast and bailed them out. Because if we're being honest here, I don't think the Sens necessarily deserve to win that game. But... You know, a game is is a game, and in a game, sometimes that goalie stands on his head and takes it away for one team, and that is exactly what happened. But, I mean, in tonight's game, the centers were right there in shots with the Flames. They actually edged the Flames out with uh, 31 shots to 29. Uh, we're great in the faceoff dot, dot tonight. We had 61% wins, so that was great. But, um, yeah, basically, <laughs> what I really wanted to get at is, even with young guys in the lineup, this team is is performing, and they're yeah, looking I, good. I, I should clarify. I think that I was kind of referring to like right off the bat at the beginning of the season, rolling with like all of those like oh yeah true yeah. green rookies would have been like asking a bit much. I think now that we've had thirty games of of Stutzla and and Batherson and Norris and all those guys, like we kind of know like where they're at. Like it, it's a it's like now's the right time. And we always said like going into the season like listen they're rolling with the veterans like leading a little bit on them at the start of the year but we're gonna see the young guys get brought in more and more as the season goes on and that's exactly what we're seeing happening now in this case it's happening because of injury i think we assumed it would happen because of trades and things like that which may still be the case but uh i think this is what we expected to see is that you know like we'd see a few guys break cramp uh breaks into the roster right out of camp and we'd see a few guys get you know uh kind of mixed in as the season went on and i think that's uh i think that's the way to do it at least as far as i'm concerned and i'm glad that formington is getting that opportunity because he deserves it and uh we'd love to see him uh love to see him stick around for for real yeah exactly and i think look at that first shift where he was on i believe he played one shift but then he was like immediately on the penalty kill the fact that dj smith trusted him with that was definitely a big thing for me i was like nice yeah get him out there He's a guy who you know has a ton of speed, and he actually almost did generate uh, a chance shorthanded. It, it was pretty close. There were a couple times that game, actually, where he was very close to getting himself a breakaway, and that was really nice to see. He immediately was like, okay, I want to make an impact with my speed on this game, and he tried to do it. So I really appreciated that he tried to bring that. He's on the play that, boy. Yeah, on the play that, uh, Bennett, you brought up earlier with you know Clark Bishop getting the puck there and kind of I guess messing up that three on one. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think what really happened there is Dzingle even said in an interview, I think it was after last game, might have been before this game. I can't remember exactly, but he said that he has five goals, no assists, and he'd be looking to dish it more. So as mm. soon as that two on one happened, I was like, oh, he's going to look to pass it. And with Foreman over there, I was like, oh, 100% he's going to go for that pass. But I think what he did was, you know, I could try and get this guy his first goal in like however many games since Foreman last scored an NHL goal, but he was like, I, I think processing the fact that, okay, this defender is going to go down. It could break up the pass. If I pass it back to the guy coming in from the neutral zone to Clark Bishop, he's kind of the guy that's unexpected to get the pass. He might have an open lane to score. Now, obviously Clark Bishop kind of, I don't know what he really was trying to do with the puck, but anyway, uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a different story, but um, I think that Formington really got himself involved and engaged in the game, and that was huge for me. Can we talk about Gus the Bus? Yeah, oh, I was gonna, I was gonna go to Gus the right. Bus, but yeah, segue, bro. As our... segue. No, no, no. I, I know you have a good segue. Do it. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I was just gonna say, I was our resident goalie on the podcast. Take it away on Gus the Bus. Have you guys ever watched Extreme Makeover Home Edition? 
<laughs> I, I used to love that show as a kid. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember when they would be like, move that us? I was just maybe, maybe Ty can, <laughs> can come in and, and have me like that be the segue. But who knows? <laughs> I hope he leaves all of this in this episode. But what I was going to say is like the way Gustafson plays is it, like he's reminding me of how he looked at the World Juniors uh, the year we traded for him. He, he looked so good at the World Juniors because he had a good team in front of him. And it's hilarious to say because, you know, these Ottawa Senators aren't good. They have a 386 <laughs> winning percentage. Uh, they're quite a few games back of even uh, the, the next place team. But with that said, he, he looks so calm and, and collected in the net. Uh, you know, a great chest. Uh, he finds uh, find pucks in traffic, um, tracks the play really well, uh, and and stays on his feet when he can. And when he's down low, he's quick there too. I I've really liked his game a lot, and uh, I think you know these two games have created such an interesting um, storyline for for what's to come this season, especially considering. I mean, you you now have a, a goalie in Matt Murray who's getting paid a butt-ton of money, and you have two rookies outplaying him. Yeah, and I think we'll kind of get to that a bit later this episode in another topic. But yeah, Gustafson has just looked incredible the last couple of games. Even tonight, I believe, and I could be mistaken on the timing of it, but I believe that the Flames had a chance to tie the game back up at two. But uh, basically, they they came in and and Gustafson, uh, he like stretched across and made this beautiful save. And I don't know how it stayed out of the net. I really have no idea. Even the commentators on TSN were baffled on how, on how that puck stayed out mm-hmm. of the net. So I I think it was towards the end of that game, uh, in the dying minutes when Calgary was really trying to apply some pressure. And man, oh, it, it's just it's incredible to see how a goalie who came in after Decord goes down. You know, gets a little feel in the net. His hand is like turning yellow or whatever it was <laughs> because he was stressed with the game. To go from that to now he's only allowed two goals. Two goals in two games. Actually, yeah. like two two and a bit of a game. I, I can't remember. Did he play more than that that I heard was something like two goals on 73 shots across three games. Yeah, and that's yeah. just ridiculous. He's a guy who... You know, our general manager probably didn't think was ready for the NHL until maybe a couple years from now. This guy comes in, and I know it's a very small sample size, but he's shown up big. And so, I mean, we'll talk about it a bit later, but when you have a guy who's 22 and he comes into the NHL, gets his first win in his first start, and then gets his second win in his second start, that's definitely reassuring on a guy that you traded Derek Broussard for. And can we not forget that part of that Derek Broussard trade was also the pick used to draft Jacob Bernard Docker. So depending on the trajectory of these two players, man, that just those two pieces of that trade alone are like huge. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been a delight to watch him step into the net and really take the reins. And I hope that he continues to have a great season. Yeah. Um, and just to, to set the stage for Gustafson a little bit more, I remember when that trade happened and in the months and like the year or two after that, uh, I was always under the impression that, you know, Gustafsson was our goalie of the future. Like I talked to people and they'd be like, yeah, you know, like right now we would have had, we would have had Anderson and, you know, we might've had, you know, Nielsen or Condon as a backup at the time. But so Gustafsson, we're waiting for him to develop kind of thing. Right. And then I think people, we, we've, accumulated a bunch of other goalie prospects too and Gustafsson never set the world on fire in the AHL I mean his stats actually got worse every season I think yeah in 1718 in Belleville he played seven games had a 912 save percentage okay uh in 1819 he played 31 games and had an 887 save percentage and then in 1920 he played 24 games and had an 889 so he was just barely a little bit better than the season before. But his AHL stats have been not good. Uh, and yet, in this admittedly very small sample size in the NHL, he's looked lights out. Uh, and to me, this proves two things. One, goalies are voodoo, and you can't say anything concrete about them, because you're always going to end up looking like an idiot. Uh, 
<laughs> and uh and two the like ahl stats like do not necessarily translate to like the initial performance of a goaltender i mean especially we've seen this a lot this season because that's been the case too with uh, lankinen and kakinen in uh, uh chicago and minnesota respectively those were two guys who never set the world on fire in the ahl were not supposed to be the caliber of goalies that they've demonstrated themselves to be in the NHL. And maybe one or both of them are flashes in the pan. Maybe Gustafson is a flash in the pan. Yep. But it's an interesting flash and it's one worth talking about because this is what we expected him to be. Maybe not this this year in time, but we expected to be seeing this from Gustafson at some point. Mm-hmm. And we weren't getting in the AHL. Maybe we're getting it now. And who knows if it lasts? Who knows if he regresses uh i mean presumably he will regress at some point i mean his state percentage is what right now like 970 980 like that's 977 that's insane yeah it's pretty high up there <laughs> yeah um <laughs> if if yeah. i can interject on on your point about the ahl and the nhl i remember um i believe it was garrett sparks he was on an nhl podcast or he was on a goalie podcast or something and said wildly enough the nhl is easier to play in because (laughs) and it's a big qualifier because uh you know the systems are are down pat they're the best players in the world and there's less unexpectedness in the nhl when it or like compared to the ahl you know some guys in the the ahl are going to be head and shoulders better than the other and you know your defenseman might not be as good and and so on and so forth whereas like your like sixth nhl defenseman is going to be your best nhl defenseman bar none and he's oh, gonna yeah. stud so i always find that uh i remember hearing that and being like that that does make sense it's a little more of a steady game obviously you're not facing Connor mcdavid uh but you're it like it's it's a little more um um you know good <laughs> yeah no that makes that makes thought. total sense too yeah. uh especially you know uh defenseman kind of like in the scale of development you know uh in terms of the amount of time it takes for players to start to kind of hit their potential you know you've got forwards at the bottom and then you've got defensemen and then you've got goalies right so defensemen take longer to develop than forwards do and so the defenders that you're getting in the ahl um you know they're a little bit less experienced for the most part and yeah they're going to be letting in a lot of silly unexpected plays come through at you and as a goalie that must be really unpredictable to deal with and with that that'll wrap up our first period of our podcast moving into the second period of our podcast We're going to talk about the trade deadline. And I know we've been talking about this a lot over the last few episodes, but we got to talk about somebody. Are we going with Ryan Dzing in or Ryan Dzing out? What do you think? guys? I'm fucking Ryan Dzing out at this point. This was, oh God, what a terrible. I hate that. Like Bennett, do you want to start your own podcast? Uh, I want to keep Ryan Dezingle. Uh I think he's a really serviceable fourth line player, and if he's okay playing that role, uh, buckle up, baby, because you're staying. Welcome to your Dezingle years. <laughs> I think if if Ryan Dezingle had been the kind of veteran that we were leaning on at the start of the season, I think Sens fans would have been much less up in arms about the usage of players and things like that you know the the plan going into the season was to acquire a bunch of veterans uh to build like a solid dependable core and to allow the young guys player you know time and space to grow and develop within the nhl roster and that plan was quickly exposed because all the veterans they acquired with the possible exception of like austin watson sucked ass and it kind of exposed the plan. But if, you know, guys like Ryan Dezingle, who is a veteran that we went out and acquired, uh, has looked really solid and dependable on both ends, as far as I've been concerned. And, you know, he's looked really good. He sounds like 
he's saying all the right things in interviews and stuff, and he seems to like being here. Um, you know, he's bounced around to a couple different teams since he left the Sens and has never found the form that he had with us. And he seems genuinely pleased to be here. He also seems genuinely kind of prepared to be shipped out at the deadline, which almost makes me think that, like, we shouldn't. And just, like, yep. he seems almost resigned to his fate, despite the fact that he's playing the best hockey he's played in, like, 18 months or more. Um and uh, yeah, I'd be perfectly happy to keep this guy. He's the kind of guy that you want to have in your bottom six. You know, guys with speed and skill and upside who aren't lights out and aren't maybe consistent enough to be in the top six, but who are still like good, useful pieces and good voices in the room. Like that's that's what we wanted from this plan. Austin, you know, Austin. the plan going into the season. And yeah, yeah, and and like Austin Watson has t- turned out to be quite uh like a, a solid option yeah and, like i'll 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 eat my crow or whatever the saying is is you know he he's been really good a good pk player um just an all-around like leader on the team and you know as you said like guys like bring in cedric Paquette, who by the way has three points in 19 games for the carolina hurricanes uh and i mean like ryan dezingle has five goals so, like, big king sort of stuff. Uh, like, if your fourth line looks like, you know, Austin Watson, Ryan Dezingle, and, like, insert any fourth line. Clark Bishop. Like, I'm okay with Clark Bishop there. I'd be okay if Nick Paul moved to center there. I mean, ideally, you don't have Derek Step on there next year, and you have a young guy or or somebody who's going to bring that jump. Be, I can't that, imagine they would re-sign Step on at this point. I hope not. Oh no, probably not. Especially don't, don't put like, that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say about Ryan Dezingle, and I kind of agree with you guys both. Like, I want to preface this by saying that a hundred percent, this is the kind of veteran that you spend a fifth round pick on uh, to bring in in the off season to bolster your lineup. You know, he's the kind of player that you bring in. A guy who is still an effective NHL player. Yes, that I think really needs to be underlined. He is still an effective NHL player. And so this kind of leads into my next point, where I personally think if you're the senator's management, you go to Ryan and you say, hey, listen, Ryan, you know, you've been a great effective player since we brought you over here. We want to give you a chance at the playoffs. We're going to trade you to some contending team, whether it's in the US, Canada, I'm not sure. You know, we want you to... Well, like in the off season, I don't know how much you can really say to a player what's considered in quotations interference, but you know they could say in the off season we'll definitely be giving your agent a call, and and just tell him that you're seriously inv- like invested in him as a player, but you have an opportunity to give him more experience in the playoffs and also give yourself maybe an asset or two depending on how interested a team is, and there you go, you get again investment uh, from, or sorry, I should say return from Ryan Dezingle like they did last time they traded him for a couple seconds and Duclair at the time, which is insane looking back. But, you know, you have the ability to possibly do that again where you get a draft pick or maybe two back. I say the centers kind of do need to just pull the trigger. His value's high. Give his agent a call in the offseason. I don't think he's going to be a guy that goes on the first day of free agency. I don't know about you guys. And I don't know if he's the kind of player that a team will re-sign when you know they'll, they'll look at his track record and be like okay this guy shows up for the senators he's been a bit streaky on the other teams he's played for not sure how he'll play for us if we sign him to a deal that's two three however many years so they'll probably let him walk to free agency especially with a flat cap yeah. boom senators give him a call pick him up and i don't think it's disrespectful to the player as long as they have that conversation with him and make it clear they want to benefit him they also want to benefit the team They'll give his agent a call in the offseason. And I think that's like the best way to do asset management as the Senators at this point in time. Because let's be honest, they could bring in another fourth line player to just fill the gap while Dezingle is gets traded off somewhere else. Like he's not a guy who's playing on your top line with like Josh Norris and really helping Josh Norris grow as a player. He's good for the locker room. Great. Give him somewhere to play in the playoffs, bring him back in the offseason. That's my opinion on it. I'm gonna disagree with you a little bit just because i think that would be disrespectful to him uh as well as like i think they have an opportunity here to like cash in on the good vibes but in a different way and say listen ryan you're here 
you're back here where you've had success in your career. You're playing well again. You're doing all the right things. You're setting a good example for the young guys. Let's try and talk about like a team friendly extension here. And because I think that there's a certain like, I don't think it's realistic to expect to be able to like bring a player back to your team three times. Like, as if like with the sense, like, the Sens traded him once at the deadline. If they traded him again at the deadline, like he he is done with the Senators. Like you can't like expect a guy to just come crawling back like again. Like these guys still have like professional pride and standards. Like we'll know, and that's what I'm saying. You have a conversation with him. I'm not saying just throw him to the wolves like the day before. Be like, yeah, by the way, we have a trade lined up with like the Canucks to send you there. I'm saying have a conversation with the player and be like, hey, listen, we do want to offer you a contract. Is it, do you want to play in the playoffs this year? Are you cool with riding out? And yeah, fine. If he wants to just ride out with the team, sure. Give him a contract extension. But if he's like, yeah, like give me a chance to play playoffs, like I'd definitely be in touch in the offseason. Boom, do it. Like if, if they're on mutual terms about the situation, I think that they should do that. It, I don't see it as him crawling back. He was drafted by the organization. They trade him in a season where he scores like what, 26 goals or something? That's totally fine. The team was selling off. Then they show that they really want the player back by trading a couple assets for him. I mean, not terribly good assets, but assets. They bring him back, offering him another chance to go to a playoff team and a potential like contract extension in the offseason. You know, I, I don't see it as a bad thing as long as the player and the organization are on the same terms. That being said, if the organization chooses to hang on to him, I totally respect their decision to do that. I just think that it's a business at the end of the day. And I think, yes, you want to have a, yourself a good reputation as an organization. Totally, totally. I totally agree with that. But if the player and the organization both agree, hey, we can get an asset and we can bring you back in the offseason, you get playoff experience, it seems like a win-win situation. But I, I, I get what you're saying and I totally see that perspective. There is one more player, though, the Senators have on their trade block, I assume, and that would be Mike Riley. And I know we were all bashing Mike Riley for, it seemed like, what, the first 15, 20 games of the season? And then he started to like come around. Everyone's like, okay, he's actually stepping up. He's leading the offense in some situations. He's getting some points, and he's looked good in the offensive zone. Defensively, he hasn't looked bad either, but I think he's just been more noticeable in the offensive zone. And so I wanted to get your guys' opinion on, do the Senators trade Mike Riley, or is he now a stable player that you just need to keep and ride it for the rest of the season. Oh, geez. I mean, yeah, like like you said, if you had asked us like three weeks ago or something like that, then we would have said, yeah, you know, flip him at the deadline, get whatever you get for him, just clear some space on the roster. I think, I think we still ought to do that. I think, you know, there's a... I think that if we gave him an extension, I like his game now, but I think we're also seeing the Artem Zub bump as he's been paired for the last three weeks with the most defensively responsible defender on our team uh, who has covered for some of the like deficiencies that are in his game on that side. And I think it is like totally pumped his value. And I think that the Sens should cash in on it because ultimately we've got so much defensive talent coming up in the next couple of seasons that like, Signing him long term wouldn't make any sense because, like, you know, he's not going to, he's on the left side and he's not going to be taking, you know, away a roster spot from Sanderson or Brandstrom or any of those guys in the next couple seasons. At least we hope not. So, I mean, maybe like a season or two, but like anything longer than that. And, you know, we'd have to get rid of him anyway. So I think he's playing well and which is great to see. I think he's making good plays. He's looking a lot more defensively responsible with Zub alongside him. And I think we got to cash in and see if we can get like a cheeky, like third round pick for him or something. Now, I will say before I pass on to other Matt that Riley on his own has actually had good fancy stats even away from Zub, which I think is even better for his trade value. Cause I think yeah. teams like Carolina who love looking at advanced analytics and having a very uh, analytic-heavy scouting department, those are the teams that especially will look at him and be like, you know what? Let's take a chance on this guy. He's only 27, which, okay, I shouldn't say only 27, but he's 27. Like, he's a he's the kind of guy, it's not like he's, you know, 34, and you're like, you know, uh, do we, you know, get this guy as a, 
a rental and then do we sign him for a year to see what he's got left? He still has gas left in the tank. So if a team's like, you know, let's trade for him as a rental, but think about it, signing him for one or two year extension, maybe more, then that's something that a team can also look at, right? So I think that's also kind of a bonus for him. But I'll pass this off to other Matt and get his opinion. Well, I just want to like disagree with your point about the Carolina fancy stats thing. And, you know, they definitely do have like the most bolstered uh, fancy stats type uh, organization, but they traded for Cedric Paquette. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Genuinely, uh, like that guy's dog shit. <laughs> so, yeah. um, Mike Riley, trade that motherfucker. Get rid of him. Uh, he's definitely t- holding back Brandstrom from getting in the lineup. And if you can get Brandstrom playing, getting confidence, and you get a third to second round pick out of it, oh, oh baby, you're not making the playoffs, boys. Get rid of him. <laughs> I think he's one of the rare. Uh, I think it's increasing, becoming increasingly obvious it's going to be a quiet deadline. And teams are not going to be so desperate as to come knocking for an Erica Branson, per se. Uh, you know, uh, like the top defender available at the deadline is going to be Matthias Eckholm in Nashville if if he does end up moving. Uh, and there's a few other guys who are going to be presumably ahead of Mike Riley. I think he's about the only player on this team, except maybe Dezingle, like like you said, who's going to actually generate some interest. And I think that we got to cash in on him while we can, like you say. And uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I think, again, it's just like, it's about it's as much about the roster space as it is about uh, the return that we get for him. And I think that he is playing better and he hasn't been a drag on the team. He's got 13 points in 32 games. And he's only a minus three, which on the sense is basically positive. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, you know good for him on that front. Yeah. And, and we did we 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 uh, traded a a fifth round pick to to get Mike Riley. Anything above that is is a net win. Um, if you and like I think there's a massive plus of getting Brandstrom into a spot where he can thrive. And oh my God, having him play with Zub, oh, like I can That'd just, yeah, I can just see a like a phenomenal, like Carlson Kuba pairing there, you know huh. that young, good old Philip Kuba. He was a steady like top four defenseman in the last years of his of his days, but he played a role that that Carlson needed. The last and, years of his days, is he dead? Yeah. Well, <laughs> sorry. I mean, like, I think he went from Ottawa to to Florida, I believe. But yeah, I think that sounds about right. Maker. <laughs> so, um, yes, I'm absolutely saying Carlson was was the heavy lifter of that. But like a perfect, a damn near perfect stay at home defenseman like Zub playing with Eric Brandstrom, who has this this potential to be phenomenal and you get to see it nightly. Um, You know, he has those defensive mistakes, but when you have somebody that's going to be there to make up for those, I say you, you go, you, you go with it. So you get a third for Mike Riley to a team that desperately needs defense. Like I think the Habs do actually. Um, So like anywhere really, but just, Get rid of them. I mean, there's no point keeping them, in my opinion. Something to add on to this conversation, by the way, was that earlier tonight, Frank Saravelli had said that the centers received calls on Nick Paul and Connor Brown, and that they're probably not moving those players. But apparently, Mike Riley and Ryan Dezingle are the ones who are kind of open to flip. So I think they kind of just, we already really talked about that and I think that everyone here would agree that we'd probably like to hang on to Connor Brown and Nick Paul more so than the two. Maybe I'm wrong on that but uh, I definitely think that Mike Riley and Brian Dezingle are the two most uh, enticing tradable assets that the Senators currently have on their roster. Oh, that will put an end to the second period of the podcast. Coming up in the third period of the podcast, we're going to talk about which goalie do the Senators protect. 
And this conversation's gotten real interesting. When we started the season, I think everyone was like, okay, well, I mean, I guess you just protect Murray before, you know, the season started. And then as the season went on, everyone's like, okay, Matt Murray's been super inconsistent. And then Joey Decord comes in and he starts being fairly steady. You know, the setters win a few games. Everyone's like, okay, well, I guess Joey Decord's the one you protect. Well, then Joey Decord goes down with injury. And now Gustafson comes in, looks amazing, has two goals against in two and a half games. Like, oh my God, now the Senators have a conundrum on their hands. What looked like an easy, just, yeah, sure, just pick the guy with the resume has now turned into, oh, geez, we have a couple young goalies that are, you know, hitting above their weight level for what they expected at this point in their careers. And it makes the decision tough. So I'm going to go to other Matt for this one because I know you love your goalie talk. I'm a big fan of the G, baby. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> Gustafson has really made it a, a two-horse race at this point. Uh, I I don't have any... Uh, <laughs> Any uh, qualms with with protecting either of them? Uh, Murray's definitely not going to be the guy they protect, um, and Hogberg isn't either. Uh, I I don't think Hogberg has that. Like I think he has a year left on his deal. Um, also, to be fair, so does Philip Gustafson. So, um, but they can they can pick RFAs willy nilly. So. As I said, I th- I really think it it it's down to a, a two horse race. Maybe maybe Matt Murray picks his game up, but in all honesty, though, if he picks his game up, I don't hate losing him to the expansion draft when his cap hit is so damn high. Yeah, I'm kind of so, in the same boat. Yeah, I personally, I oh, it's it's really tough, but I'd probably pick Gustafson because he's younger. I think also because Joey Decord, you know, getting injured, you don't know, especially with, I believe, and I can be corrected if I'm wrong, but I believe it was kind of at least guessed or hypothesized that he had a high ankle sprain of some sort. Uh, Again, I could be wrong on that, but you know, an injury like that's a, a bit frightening. And when we won't be able to see him now for the rest of the season, it's a question mark on how he'll play next year. Right. Look at Christian Willanen. He got injured for the rest of the season, like what was it, a couple of years ago? And it took him a while to get up to speed this season. And even then, he hasn't been in the lineup consistently. Now, I hope that's not the case for Joey Decord. But I have to agree with you, Matt, that I think you kind of at this point should protect Gustafson because he's an asset. And we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. But he's the asset that you have the most certainty of performance-wise, depending on, again, how the season plays out. Because now Joey Decord's out, you don't know if he he was going to keep that play up or or what's going to happen with him. So anyway, it, it's it's kind of an interesting conversation to have. And Bennett, I'll I'll get your opinion on this one. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've seen a couple comments on Twitter to the effect of, "Boy, are uh, Matt Murray and Evgeny Dodonov making Pierre Dorian's expansion draft strategy easy as hell." Uh, <laughs> that, uh, they're both playing themselves into getting exposed, which it's hard to disagree with. I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I am and remain an Evgeny Dodonov truther. Um, <laughs> I still think he's better than the play that he's shown. Um, but I mean, still, I mean, like it, it's not a terrible contract. It's what, like three by five. So I mean, that's yeah, hard. That's hardly, you know, uh, that's hardly, uh, you know, a weight around the neck of the organization. It's it's not the worst contract in the world. But I mean, I think that if Seattle wanted to take him, I don't think anyone would be like super sad to see him gone. And I think with Matt Murray, it's a slightly worse contract. And his play has been arguably much worse than Dodonov's, considering especially that, you know, both those guys were brought in to address key deficiencies in the team from last year. Dodonov was brought in specifically to help elevate a miserable power play, a power play which has remained miserable and he has contributed precisely nothing to fixing it. So unfortunately, that part of his time with the sense so far has been pretty clearly a bust. And likewise, Matt Murray was brought in to fix a dreadful goaltending uh, stat line from last year, and he has arguably made it worse. He has been not 
maybe not a worse goalie because Marcus Hogberg has been worse, uh, but he has been far too inconsistent and he is either getting lit up or he is just kind of doing fine. He's like either treading water or getting lit up. And I mean, his well, his stats I, speak for themselves. So exactly. I mean, sometimes he's treading water, but I think it's really either he's hot or he's cold. Like it's hardly ever. Has, he, has he been hot? He's had games where he's had like a, over a 960 save percentage. I'd say sure. that's pretty hot. But like he's very What, what do you define as hot? One game where he has a 960 save percentage surrounded by five games where he ships three plus goals. I don't think yeah, I, I get that. that but in February, it was like every other game was bad. And every other game, like in the opposite games, were good. Like I could pull up his February stat line and he had a pretty good month February. I know like... I, I found you to do that because I don't believe you. I don't think his stat line like provides any respectability to <laughs> like his his status with the team. Anyway, I I'm I'm going I'm like going a little far out here and shitting on the guy, which I don't want to do because like, you know, it's the first season of the new team, you know, I know he's a young parent. I know he had a hard time in the last year in Pittsburgh. So I don't want to keep ragging on this guy. Like that's not that's not entirely fair to him. But I think it's pretty clear at this point that no matter what we felt going into the season, Matt Murray should absolutely be exposed at the during the Seattle draft based on his the balance of his play this season. And who should as for who we should keep? I mean it seems pretty clear that the answer is Gustafson, which seems you know might seem very reactive considering he's only played three games this season, two and a half really. And you know, one of them was like forty five minutes ago when we sat down to record this podcast. <laughs> so, so uh but I think that you know he's the youngest of our goalies currently kind of like eligible for the draft. And he's the one with kind of the most pedigree, I think, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of what the organization acquired to get him and what the organization expected him to be. Yeah. Uh, I think it seems clear that, you know, even if, which he will obviously regress after what we've seen so far of him in his very small NHL career, I think we're going to have to trust that this guy will be the one to put it together down the road. And so I think we've got to keep him. All right. Here's Matt Murray's stat line from beginning of February. Save percentage only. 947, 938, 941. Then he came in relief uh, for Hogberg and had nine saves on nine shots. Next game, he drops an 800, and I think he left the game early with an injury, actually. Following game, he gets a 929. Next game, 769, 938, 889, 967, 818, 964-636, 912-806. And that was when he was injured again uh, in the warm-up of the next game. So so literally, like, every other game, uh, except at the beginning of February, where he had a streak of, like, three great games. Yeah, it's like every other game, he has a bad performance. And then the next game, he has a good or lights-out performance. So it's just so weird with him. And you just don't know what you're going to get on a night-to-night basis. But I... His January... Bad. Yeah, his January was awful, and I think that really like just tanked his stat line uh, prior to February. But I still, I, I'm still gonna agree that he should be the one exposed. And my biggest reason for it is that the Senators decided in the offseason that they wanted to be a team that pushed for the playoffs. Pierre Dorian made that known. It wasn't even a anything that was a hidden message. Brady Kachuk had said to the media they wanted to be a playoff team. And when things didn't go their way, obviously it looked quite bad. But I think that at the draft, Pierre Dorian had that, you know, envisioned in him like, okay, I think we can go for at least bubbles or, you know, getting close to the wild card this year. Um, so I think he was like, you know, if we spend a second round pick and get a guy like Matt Murray, it really improves our goaltending. Instead of just running with the game plan of just having a rebuild and then seeing what happened. Unfortunately, I think if Matt Murray had kind of like a Bobby Ryan-esque contract when Bobby Ryan was traded to the Sens, where I believe he had, what, one year left at like five mil, I think that would have been huge for the Senators. Because if Matt Murray had that one year left on his contract and the Senators trade for him, I don't think we're having this conversation today. Because I think the Senators would just let him ride out into free agency. Or maybe offer him a contract extension, but at a lower term and a lower uh annual value. So I think it was just really unfortunate that Pierre Dorian and I assume Eugene Melnick 
envision this team to be better than it was on paper. So anyway, I think that just kind of leads us back to the whole when you look at what you got in the organization, you had Joey Decord, who looked like he was ready to play NHL games this year. And he had Gus, who honestly, I, he came out of nowhere. And I think that there were no expectations on him. And he's just looked amazing. And so I think it definitely has made the decision hard for the centers. Yeah. And one one final note that I that I want to add, our biggest decision as a is that goal. Uh, yeah. Our defense, super easy. Uh, our forwards, difficult because it's tough to decide who I even want to bother protecting. Like, <laughs> oh my god! Genuinely, like I, I, I was doing the cap friendly while you guys were talking about Matt Murray. I, uh, I, it came down to who I want to want more than Connor Brown, Chris Tierney, and Evgeny Dodonov. Seriously, like I'd rather, uh, honestly, at this point like keep Dzingle over over um over Tierney but he's a he's a diminishing asset. I mean I would keep Tierney for the sole reason that he provides something else to your team. And this is like not trying to take a shot to Donov, but when when you look at Chris Tierney's role on the team, yes, okay, this season offensive like situ or sorry, his awesome offensive capabilities have been non existent. I'll give you that. He has what Five goals, eight assists in 35 games. Like, yes, that is really not what you expect from him. But that being said, he provides you something in the defensive zone. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I think he's just the asset that brings more to the club at the moment. And I'd love for Dodonov to have uh, an improved offensive output, especially to close off the season, to be like, hey, guys, look, like I can play here too. I can't. I'm not only going to score with Huberdeau and Barkov on my line or on mm -hmm. the power play. So we'll see what happens. But I agree that it, it's definitely going to be easier to pick which forwards to protect yeah. than it will be, especially for the goaltending. And I guess for defense, it'll really depend on what happens at the deadline. But I, ultimately, I, I had to pick Zaitsev because I didn't want any of Goodbranson, Coburn, Riley, or. <laughs> well, I mean, Goodbranson, Coburn, Riley, all UFAs anyway. We'll land in UFA. For what it's worth, though, uh, I think we probably lose a forward this yeah. draft, and we, we don't lose a goalie. I hope so. I hope so. Anyway, that's the end of the third period of this week's Centennial Podcast, and with that, we're going to draw to a close. But please make sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pod Podcast Addict. Uh, I found out that we were uh, referenced there so that's great and uh anchor of course and also on social media you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram and also you can follow people on reddit now so you can follow our reddit account and uh i myself am, am active in the center's discord so catch us anywhere there at Centennial, and we'll get back to you if you reach out to us in dms or just tweet at us or what have you and we'll get back to you so thank you so much for listening this week and we'll catch you all next time have a great one, everybody. Later, guys.